0: Chapter five of the Vicar of Wakefield This Librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Tig Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith Chapter five A new and great acquaintance introduced What we place most hopes upon generally proves most fatal. At a small distance from the house my predecessor had made a seat, overshaded by an hedge of hawthorn and honeysuckle here when the weather was fine and our labour soon finished we usually sat together to enjoy an extensive landscape in the calm of the evening here too we drank tea which now was become an occasional banquet and as we had it but seldom it diffused a new joy the preparations for it being made with no small share of bustle and ceremony on these occasions our two little ones always read for us and they were regularly served after we had done Sometimes, to give a variety to our amusements, the girls sung to the guitar, and while they thus formed a little concert, my wife and I would stroll down the sloping field that was embellished with bluebells and century, talk of our children with rapture, and enjoy the breeze that wafted both health and harmony. In this manner we began to find that every situation in life might bring its own peculiar pleasures. Every morning waked us to a repetition of toil, but the evening repaid it with vacant hilarity. It was about the beginning of autumn, on a holiday, for I kept such as intervals of relaxation from labour, that I had drawn out my family to our usual place of amusement, and our young musicians began their usual concert. As we were thus engaged we saw a stag bound nimbly by within about twenty paces of where we were sitting, and by its panting it seemed pressed by the hunters we had not much time to reflect upon the poor animal's distress when we perceived the dogs and horsemen come sweeping along at some distance behind and making the very path it had taken i was instantly for returning in with my family but either curiosity or surprise or some more hidden motive held my wife and daughters to their seats the huntsman who rode foremost passed us with great swiftness followed by four or five persons more who seemed in equal haste at last a young gentleman of a more genteel appearance than the rest came forward and for a while regarding us instead of pursuing the chase stopped short and giving his horse to a servant who attended approached us with a careless superior air he seemed to want no introduction but was going to salute my daughters as one certain of a kind reception but they had early learnt the lesson of looking presumption out of countenance upon which he let us know that his name was Thornhill and that he was the owner of the estate that lay for some extent round us. He again, therefore, offered to salute the female part of the family, and such was the power of fortune and fine clothes that he found no second repulse. As his address, though confident, was easy, we soon became familiar, and, perceiving musical instruments lying near, he begged to be favoured with a song. As I did not approve of such disproportioned acquaintances, I winked upon my daughters in order to prevent their compliance, but my hint was counteracted by one from their mother, so that with a cheerful air they gave us a favourite song of Dryden's. Mr. Thornhill seemed highly delighted with their performance and choice, and then took up the guitar himself. He played but very indifferently. However, my eldest daughter repaid his former applause with interest, and assured him that his tones were louder than even those of her master at this compliment he bowed which she returned with a curtsey he praised her taste she commended his understanding an age could not have made them better acquainted while the fond mother too equally happy insisted upon her landlord stepping in and tasting a glass of her gooseberry the whole family seemed earnest to please him my girls attempted to entertain him with topics they thought most modern while moses on the contrary gave him a question or two from the ancients for which he had the satisfaction of being laughed at my little ones were no less busy and fondly stuck close to the stranger all my endeavours could scarcely keep their dirty fingers from handling and tarnishing the lace on his clothes and lifting the flaps of his pocket-holes to see what was there at the approach of evening he took leave but not till he had requested permission to renew his visit which as he was our landlord we most readily agreed to as soon as he was gone my wife called a council on the conduct of the day she was of opinion that it was the most fortunate hit for that she had known even stranger things at last brought to bear she hoped again to see the day in which we might hold up our heads with the best of them, and concluded she protested she could see no reason why the two Miss Wrinklers should marry great fortunes and her children get none. As this last argument was directed to me, I protested that I could see no reason for it either, nor why Mr. Simpkins got the ten thousand pounds prize in the lottery, and we sat down with a blank. "'I protest, Charles,' cried my wife, this is the way you always damp my girls and me when we are in spirits tell me Sophie, dear what do you think of our new visitor don't you think he seems to be good-natured immensely so indeed mamma replied she i think he has a great deal to say upon everything and is never at a loss and the more trifling the subject the more he has to say yes cried Olivia. He is well enough for a man, but for my part I don't much like him. He is so extremely impudent and familiar, but on the guitar he is shocking. These last two speeches I interpreted by contraries. I found by this that Sophia internally despised as much as Olivia secretly admired him. "'Whatever may be your opinions of him, my children,' cried I, "'to confess a truth, he has not prepossessed me in his favour disproportioned friendships ever terminate in disgust, and I thought, notwithstanding all his ease, that he seemed perfectly sensible of the distance between us. Let us keep to companions of our own rank. There is no character more contemptible than a man that is a fortune-hunter, and I can see no reason why fortune-hunting women should not be contemptible too. Thus, at best, we shall be contemptible if his views be honourable, but if they be otherwise—I should shudder but to think of that— It is true that I have no apprehensions from the conduct of my children, but I think that there are some from his character. I would have proceeded but for the interruption of a servant from the squire, who, with his compliments, sent us a side of venison, and a promise to dine with us some days after. This well-timed present pleaded more powerfully in his favour than anything I could say to obviate. I therefore continued silent, satisfied with just having pointed out danger, and leaving it to their own discretion to avoid it the virtue which requires to be ever guarded is scarce worth the sentinel end of chapter five